Jeremy Grant, after four years, will soon leave his post as the first leader of the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I recently caught up with Grant to discuss his tenure and how authentication has evolved in the past four years and where he sees it heading. But before we hear from Grant, let's take a few moments to explain what is the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. Instinct is characterized as a vibrant identity ecosystem where identity solutions adhere to four guiding principles. First, identity solutions will be privacy-enhancing and voluntary. Second, they'll be secure and resilient. Third, they'll be interoperable. And fourth, identity solutions will be cost-effective and easy to use. Grant says much has changed in the world of authentication since April 15, 2011, the day President Obama signed an order creating the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. The marketplace has really evolved, in, in my view, uh, in a way that you know aligns you know pretty significantly with the NSIC, not in every fashion, but certainly in a lot of good ones. And I think we've made good progress towards its implementation. So you know, when we sort of look at what's in the marketplace today, I don't think you know the full vision's been implemented, but what we're really seeing, uh, big chunks of it are. In 2015, as we come up on the anniversary of NSIC, you know, one thing that I think's been clear is that there's been a, a huge explosion of uh, multi-factor authentication solutions, including free ones available to consumers from a lot of the sites that they do business with. So, you know, certainly you've seen a number of major online firms, names like Twitter, Google, PayPal, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Yahoo, have all rolled out uh, two-factor authentication solutions. For the most part, those actually are not interoperable with one another. And so, you know, it's great that these solutions are available out there to give ourselves additional protections on top of passwords and prevent accounts being hijacked, taken over, used for fraud. The problem is, I'm now personally managing seven of these different solutions. I'm happy to do so being a bit of a geek in this and being very you know, careful about what I do online, but heading toward an ecosystem where instead of having 28 different passwords, people are now gonna be asked to manage 28 different passwords along with 28 different multi-factor solutions. That's not gonna get us too far. Let me take a step back. I think this is a perfectly normal approach in terms of how markets develop, which is first a bunch of one-off proprietary solutions emerge, consumers and businesses start to see the value in them, and then efforts are made to standardize those solutions so you have interoperability driving down costs, driving up ease of use. But Grant points out the social networks and internet companies aren't requiring their customers to use two-factor authentication. There's a difference between offering it and actually having consumers use it, and there's certainly no mandates to use it. And I think most of the companies have said that they're not really ready to go that far because they think that the technology's not... Uh the solutions aren't good enough yet that if they're mandated, they're going to be worried about losing customers. It's one thing, hey, I'm in the federal government. The government can mandate that I use my, uh, my smart card with PKI certificates to log in every day. But there's no way that a mandate like that's ever going to emerge in the private sector, certainly not from the government. And I think you're seeing you know, a number of firms, right now they're offering it as a way for, for consumers to protect themselves. On the flip side, I think there are some transactions that are out there that aren't online today where you will only see them brought online if there's a mandate that they be used. Uh, certainly, we're looking at this in government for a lot of citizen-facing applications. Back in October, the president signed an executive order mandating that any uh, digital applications that are releasing personal data to citizens make use of multi-factor authentication that's bound to an effective identity-proofing process. And, you know, that's one example I point out of how the government is leading the way in trying to be an early adopter of the kinds of solutions that are called for in the NSTIC. Grant says consumers have been reluctant to adopt new forms of authentication because they're not always easy to use. 
and users are given few incentives to adopt them. The market for years has had a lot of different options that have you know been out there. A lot of them were designed, oh, I'd say, you know, this, this may be a little bit unfair to paint everybody with a broad brush, but you had a lot of solutions that were designed with security first and all the other factors were secondary. Certainly in the consumer marketplace, if something's not easy to use, as much as people hate passwords, if you're going to give them something that they hate even more, then it's going to be really hard for them to actually start using it. Grant says the business models vendors offer haven't yet persuaded many consumers to adopt new forms of authentication. Almost everything we're talking about here in terms of reusing credentials really gets around the idea of federated identity management. How do a bunch of organizations all agree to share the same pool of credentials because they all have basically agreed that they're all being issued according to the same uh, standards and processes. So thus you should be able to trust uh, each other. People have been trying to do federation for years and it's been really hard to get off the ground. You know, depending on who you talk to, people will say, well, the technical standards aren't good enough for interoperability or there's too many concerns about liability. And uh, look, I, I don't want to downplay those because they've certainly been barriers in the past. But if there's one thing that's been really clear to me the last four years is that the single biggest thing has been the absence of what a lot of businesses and consumers thought was a really compelling value proposition for federation. Just simply showing the numbers about how much money you could save or how things could be easier if people embrace federated identity has, look, I, I find it compelling, but I think what we've seen in the market is that alone has not been enough to get over some of the obstacles. One thing we've been excited to see has been the emergence of some new models the last few years where you've got companies coming in that are, you know, frankly, introducing new types of value, new business models uh, into the market that you're seeing some big retailers look at and say, huh, we never would have done this before, but for that approach, uh, we will support Federation. Grant has a simple explanation why vendors haven't found that right business model to get consumers to adopt new forms of authentication. Essentially, it's, it's, it's hard. It's going to take time for the market to develop and sort out some of the core issues that have been vexing it for years. I mean, when, when people ask, why is the government weighing in here? I think, you know, one big reason that, that the White House launched NSTIC was that folks have been trying to address a lot of these core identity, security, and privacy issues for years. And nobody's been able to solve it. It's really hard. It's not the sort of thing that any one company can just solve on their own, or if it is, nobody's figured it out yet. That company has yet to emerge, and there's been a lot of uh, strong contenders in the past who have tried and failed. Uh, it really, you know, dictates that you have a whole of an ecosystem approach, and that's the sort of thing that requires, you know, a lot of uh, voluntary collaboration from different stakeholders across the country, even across the world. It's the sort of thing that, you know, where, you know, our, our biggest role in government, you know, we say many times is, you know, to be a convener and a catalyst, just simply getting those organizations together to start talking through the barriers, talking through the issues, coming up with frameworks that can help to address, you know, what really are some gaps that the marketplace has, you know, not only is no individual firm sorted that out, but collectively nobody's ever been able to sort through these problems either. You know, again, the good news is there's progress. There's, there's better technologies that are out there that are, you know, I think starting to take hold in marketplaces that, you know, didn't in the past. We're seeing business models that in some cases you're seeing firms, you know, you know, fall over themselves to uh, to sign up for participating in this because they're suddenly seeing an incentive where there wasn't one before. Uh, a lot of the problem had really been that we lack a set of tools and rules. What we uh, dub in the strategy is the identity ecosystem framework that can ensure interoperability of credentials across different parties. So the good news there is, you know, there's a nonprofit that our office helps stand up uh, in concert with, uh, we kind of think, you know, more than 300 members in the organization now. It's called the Identity Ecosystem Steering Group, and they are on pace to come up with version one of this framework that we've been talking about for quite some time in the summer. Now, 
just because the framework emerges doesn't mean everybody's going to use it, but we think a lot of organizations will start to use it. They'll start to kick the tires on it, use it as a way to start talking about comparability of different identity solutions, measuring uh, how different solutions work, and we think it's something that you know the community will iterate on uh, over the next few years till we you know get something that's really more of a, uh, a foundational piece. It could take another five years before the identity ecosystem fully blossoms. But Grant says that's not necessarily the way it should be viewed. We're making a little more material progress each year. I don't think that, you know, we're ever going to pick a date and say by this date we're going to have X percent of the market, you know, fully penetrated with these kinds of solutions. I really think it's something that's going to happen much more organically and over time that's, you know, similar to smartphones. You know, I think if you look at the last 10 years, there wasn't a particular time that you could point to where suddenly one day it seemed like everybody had a smartphone, but there was a year or two when you suddenly noticed people carrying these things more and more and then suddenly one day you woke up and it was like almost everybody had one. And they're still, of course, not ubiquitous in the marketplace, but they're, they're, they're getting pretty darn close. Uh, I, I think it'll be a lot like this. I think you're starting to see the foundations a vibrant identity marketplace emerging that, you know, supported not only by technologies and new companies coming in, but also things like the identity ecosystem framework, like the launch of connect.gov, which is the government's federation offering that's going to allow different agencies to leverage a common pool of identity solutions to offer more high value applications. You know, those are the kinds of things that you're, you're essentially, you know, building a very big structure and, you know, every year you get a few more rooms built and collectively soon you'll have what you're looking for. That's Jeremy Grant of the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.